Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians as the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica. Chapter 3, verse 11, he writes, Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Good morning, everyone. My name is Charlie. I'm one of the lay pastors here, and I'm very excited for us to look at God's word together. I'm sure each of us can recall a situation that where we've been in the middle of conversing with someone, and then all of a sudden, the person starts talking about something completely different. And instantly, you feel like, I got whiplash, or you feel like, I am lost, or I'm confused on now, what are we talking about? The person that was speaking transitioned to a new topic without making clear to you or giving you a heads up, hey, by the way, I'm going to start talking about something new. A lack of a clear transition, whether it be in a letter, whether it be in a speech, or just in daily conversation, is a recipe for choppiness, a lack of clarity, and confusion. And as I was thinking through this, I was thinking, who is the transition there to help? Who is it there for? Is it for the person saying it? No, it's for the recipient. It's for the hearer or the reader to clearly understand where one is in the conversation and what exactly is happening so that they're not confused or lost. Paul, in the verses that were just read, uses these verses, verses 11, 12, and 13, to clearly signal to his hearers or readers that he is now changing topics, changing subjects. The first three chapters of the book of 1 Thessalonians are primarily explanatory and a defense of his ministry. And now we're moving into the two final chapters of 1 Thessalonians where he will be exhorting and applying truth to them. And so these are the final chapter or final verses right before he switches to a different subject. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that Paul's prayer summarizes and foreshadows. Paul's prayer summarizes and foreshadows. The type of transition that we find in these verses is actually a prayer. Elsewhere in some of Paul's letters, like Ephesians and Romans, sometimes he uses a doxology where he just breaks out an emotional praise for the Lord. But here what we find is a prayer. And specifically we find two prayers, one for himself and one for the Thessalonians. And this prayer functions in two ways. It looks back and it summarizes something. Look with me at verse 11 where he says, direct our way to you. This is actually the fourth time in this letter that Paul is saying, I really wish I could get and be with you guys again. I really wish I could be with you all again. So he's summarizing this by saying, once again, I really wish I could be with you guys. 
Another way that it's summarizing is in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, where he says, I want you guys to love one another more just as I love you. This is another summary, um, summarizing again the love that the apostles have for the Thessalonians, and he sought to show that and defend that in the first three chapters. But not only is he summarizing, like a good transition summarizes, he also looks ahead and he's foreshadowing and previewing what is actually to come. In verse 12, you see clearly he's saying, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. He's going to cover that extensively in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, and in chapter 5. He also says, I wish you guys were, I hope you are established blameless in holiness. We're going to cover that next week in chapter 4, where he says, specifically, you need to be a holy people, pure, apart from the world. And then he also says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, will be an extensive discussion of Jesus Christ's return and what it will look like. So like a good transition would summarize what has been said and foreshadow what is going to be said, this is how these verses are operating. Why do I share this? Why do I share? Okay, Charlie, very good to know. This is a form of how these verses are operating. I share this because I think there's something to learn about God from knowing this. God does not want to confuse or lose us. God is a God of order, not a God of confusion. When speaking of worship services in 1 Corinthians 14, the text says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. When the Lord acts in our own lives, he changes us from disorder and broken relationships to peace and order with him. God's desire is not that we are confused about him, but that we know the peace and the order of who he is. And one way that we see this God of order is that we find it in this literary format of these verses transitioning from one subject to another. And this would have been very important to the original hearers who may have just heard this message rather than reading it. But, brothers and sisters, I want us to also realize and see that that is not only what is happening in these verses. Uh, As I studied this text more and more, um, I feel and I, I... I felt that, like, in a very real way, God's word is like a mine. So I've never personally been down in, like, a coal mine or a diamond mine, but I did watch a Netflix documentary once. And it's pretty boring. It looks like it's just, it just looks like it's a bunch of dirt. But as you use tools and as you stay down there and you mine, it brings forth treasures from the ground. So also with God's word, as we pray over it, as we study it, and as we look at what maybe other people have to say about it, it brings forth great treasures for us. And so there is practical, solid truths for, for, us, for us in these verses that I want us to take a few minutes and look at. The first thing here, let's reread and look back at verse 11 that I want us to see, is that Paul's prayer here teaches us to ask God to remove hindrances. Ask God to remove hindrances. So let's look at this together. 
The direction of this prayer is on Paul himself. He's asking the Lord. He's requesting something from God the Father and Jesus. Paul, in addressing both God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, is actually doing something important here. He's actually putting Jesus on the same status of God the Father. Simply put, Paul is assuming the deity of Jesus Christ in saying this, and elsewhere in the Thessalonians letter. It's not an airtight argument. It's just something that Paul is saying, I'm assuming you all are aware of this and are under the same understanding that Jesus is at the same status of God the Father in his godness. And then what he does is he goes toward a specific request. He requests, he directs, addresses the prayer to God the Father and Jesus Christ, and he requests something specifically. And what is that? It is that, he, that, <laughs> that God would direct our way to you. The NIV says, clear the way for us to come to you. Paul's not asking for directions. He's very clear. He he knows how to get from Athens, where he is now, back up to Thessalonica. What he is doing is he is asking God to remove the obstacles that are keeping Paul from getting to the Thessalonians. If you have your Bible or uh, cell phone with it up, jump with me back to chapter 2, verse 16. When speaking of the men who drove him out, it says in verse, chapter 2, verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Jump down to verse 18. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So there are hindrances, there are obstacles that are in between Paul and the Thessalonians placed by sinful men and by Satan. A hindrance is an obstacle. It's when, you know, you're trying to get somewhere and there's traffic or there's a road um, blockage or, you know, you're trying to accomplish something with someone else and they oppose you. So there's hindrances that we find here. Satan and sinful people are hindering the spread of the gospel in Thessalonica. And what does Paul do? He requests that God would remove those obstacles and clear the way so that he could be reunited with them. Brothers and sisters, it is important for us to remember that there are forces at work that are hindering the spread of the gospel, causing an obstacle for you to love other people, causing a barrier to you growing in holiness. And these forces are Satan, sinful people, the world, and the flesh. They're trying to stop us from what, what God has intended for good. Luke chapter 22 says, when Jesus speaking to Simon, speaking to Peter says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded of you to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The devil is compared to a lion in 1 Peter Um, I have a little two-year-old, and she has, like, so many little animals, and we're like, what does the lion say? She's like, rawr. We're like, what does the deer say? Um, 
And in reality, I wouldn't want her to watch National Geographic Channel and see what the lion does to the deer. It's very graphic. But that is like what the imagery of what Peter wants us to see is that the lion kills and destroys. Like John would say, the thief comes only to kill and destroy. And what, what we need to do is we need to appeal to God to remove these hindrances and obstacles and help us to be able to love one another. This may seem like a very obvious point. This may seem very obvious, like, yes, we should pray to the higher power to remove obstacles for us to do effective gospel ministry. But brothers and sisters, this is not what we always do. We are very prideful people. And I often our response is not, yes, let me appeal and ask the Lord. Often our response is, I can do it on my own. I don't need any help. Or we don't take seriously the threat of the opposition against us. I serve as a, uh, at my nine to five job, I work at Verizon and I work on the business side and I serve as like a tech help to the business account managers. Um, so the business account managers can rely on me for technical assistance. I'm an internal tech support, not external. <laughs> um, so they, I rely on, they can rely on me as a support system to help solve any issues they may have. And I cannot tell you the number of times, and I'm like free too, I'm like there to just help them out. I cannot tell you the number of times that I get brought into something at the 11th hour and it's like, Things are exploding and like the customer is angry, angry. And I'm reading through the email thread and I'm like, this has been going on for weeks. Like, why didn't you reach out to me before? Like, I can help you. I'm here. It's literally my job. I'm here to help you. And I sometimes think like, I'm like, why is this? But brothers and sisters, we often do the same thing. In our pride, we try to do things on our own. In our pride, we say, I've got this. I can handle this. And we say, I can take on the devil. I can muster up the strength inside of me to fight my flesh. I cannot give in to the world's temptations on my own strength. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. That's what James 4 tells us. You do not have because you do not ask. Think about the things that the Lord is ready and willing to give us But because of our pride, we don't cry out to him and ask him. It's our duty to acknowledge and know that there are evil forces at work to hinder the spread of the gospel. And it's our duty to cry out to the Lord and ask him to remove those hindrances for effective gospel ministry. So the second request we see here is a little bit longer, and it includes a causal statement. So we see here the second request, Paul's prayer teaches us to ask God to make us abound in love. Ask God to make us abound in love. The direction of this prayer is toward the Thessalonians. And let's see, and let's let's see here, what is it that Paul is asking the Lord to do? Paul is asking in verse 12 here. The Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. These words are synonyms. So he's simply trying to say over and over again, let it increase and let it overflow. 
John Chrysostom, he is a fourth century preacher. Here's what he says about these verses. Do you see the unrestrainable madness of love that is shown by his words? As if one should say that with a kind of superabundance he desires for them to love. Paul is saying, I desire and I long for you all to love more and more and more for one another. And this is a request toward God. He's asking them, cause them to love one another more and more. What's very interesting is that uh, the Thessalonians, who he's writing this to, they are actually already loving one another really well. In chapter 4, And in the second letter of Thessalonians, this is something that Paul commends them for. He literally says, I talk about you guys to other churches, how well you love one another. And yet he's asking, even though you guys are doing an excellent job in this, I pray and I hope that you do it even more and more. So we see how important it is to Paul that he would want it to continue to happen even though it is already happening. Can you throw me my water bottle? Should have brought it up here before. Thank you. I am sorry, everyone. So this is a request. <clears throat> Loving one another, this is a request. God, is, uh, Paul is asking that the Thessalonians love one another more and more. This is not easy. This is countercultural. This is against our natural inclinations. And that is why Paul is asking the Lord to do it. He's saying it's not possible on our own to do this, and so let us ask God. As a reminder, if you are a member here of Ogletown, this is something that we've promised to do for one another. This is something that we've promised and committed and said, I will love and care for the other people in this church, and for all Christians. This past week, I was reminded of the Ogletown Member Covenant. I was actually not trying to find um, the Ogletown Member Covenant. I was trying to find something else, but I came across it on our website, and I would encourage you as well to take time, if you're a member, to read through it. And I want us to take a minute here to remind ourselves what we have said you guys will do to me, and what I have said, I will do to you guys, and what you've all said, this is what we'll do to one another. Because it's important for us to remember, this is, these are weighty things that we've said, I'm going to commit and I'm going to try to do this for other Christians. And it should drive us toward, God, help me to be able to do these things, because they are heavy. Let's take a minute and read just two paragraphs from the Ogletown Member Covenant. The the paragraph up on the um, screen says, Together we will draw near to God in worship. We will delight in the glory of God, grow in the knowledge of God, and submit to the word of God as the all-sufficient authority in our lives and in his church. We will strive to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. As you read God's word, and I apologize, it's so small. As you read God's word, you'll come across, it's difficult to always submit to what is said there. But I have promised that I will help you 
try to submit to that. And you've promised, hey, I'm going to try to help Charlie submit to that. And all Christians do that. Let's continue reading. Together, we will spur one another on to love and good deeds. We will meet with one another consistently. We will pray for one another regularly. And we will serve one another selflessly. We will endeavor to bring up those under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If that seems easy to you, I highly encourage you to serve in nursery. Because as you serve in nursery and your patience is tested, you will feel, oh Lord, I need your help to, re- to care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to raise up those in that way. Continuing on, we will share each other's joys and bear each other's burdens. That is not like what we're naturally inclined to do. We're not naturally inclined to draw towards someone and say, I'm going to bear this burden with you. Or when someone is rejoicing, we're prone to covetousness and we're prone to say like, oh, you didn't deserve that. To instead say, no, I'm joyful with you. We will edify one another with our speech and encourage one another with our example, using restraint in activities to avoid harming another's faith. We will humbly and gently confront one another and receive correction from one another. We will give cheerfully and generously to the support of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel. I share this so that we all, as Christians, would feel the weight of it, but also see the standard to which we are called And this isn't easy, and that's why it requires us to ask the Lord, to say, Lord, help me to be able to do this. And as I said, I think it is a worthwhile read, worthwhile five minutes to read through that and ask the Lord, hey, God, help me to be able to do this with other Christians and with the people of this church. Something else I want to share. When asking God to help us abound in love for one another. When we're asking the Lord, help me to abound and increase in love for one another. Something very specific that we can ask the Lord for is that we can ask God to help us to grow in the knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to grow in the knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ. If you feel, Charlie, I'm not so sure about that. I think that you guys need to serve me. I need to be served. I need to be poured into. I'm not doing the best. And these other people, they need to be caring for me. It needs to be focused on oneself. Let the medicine, let the waterfall of the story of Jesus rejuvenate your soul. As you see and you feel and know Jesus Christ more deeply, it rejuvenates your heart. And it gives you the strength and the power to say, yes, I want to pour out my life for other people. If you feel like I am fried, I really can't pour out myself for others, then reflecting on the vertical truth that Matt mentioned earlier, reflecting on the vertical truth of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us 
will assist in us horizontally pouring out for one another. I, um, it, it's the truth, and, and I'm going to do a short moment here to think through this truth. It is feeling and knowing that the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, the sun and all the stars, he took on humanity. He lived very humbly. He lived in a daily utter, de- utter dependence on the Father. And that man, he died and bore a wrath for you. I think specifically, this has helped me, I know it's a little bit graphic, but this has helped me. I think specifically of the metal at the end of the whips on his back. And he took that for me. That is like a small microcosm of the wrath that he actually bore from the Father for me and for all those who trust in him. I was not in a position to pay that. None of us are in a position to pay that. But he does so graciously and mercifully. I say this because this is similar language to Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, Paul is once again encouraging the Philippians, love one another, pour out yourself for one another. And here's what he says in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves. This is what he says. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he's saying, have that same mindset. Have the same mindset of humility and servitude toward one another. That, having that mindset and reflecting and refreshing on the truth of the gospel transforms our hearts to say, that's why I say it, it's counter-natural. It transforms our heart so that we don't say, I need to be cared for. I need to be poured into. But instead we can say, yes, I do need that. I do need friendships. But instead we can say, I am willing to serve and love those around me as we reflect and cherish the truths found in the vertical relationship. This increasing and abounding, look with me also at verse 12 here. So I've been speaking primarily about increasing and abounding in love for one another. But also, if you see there, it says, and for all. So this love and this love that is meant for one another, that we should be doing to one another, the glory of that, is not only meant to stay within one another. It's not only meant to stay amongst other Christians. It's actually meant and designed to burst forth through all the nations. Chris uh, Rainey, who's one of our pastors, and Nathan Walters are currently over right now in the Philippines refreshing and loving Joe and Elizabeth Blandeburgo. I was thinking about this. What would cause Joe and Elizabeth Blandeburgo, you could think of Nico, you can think of H&B and Asia, you can think of James even, who just went over to Africa. 
What would cause them to forego, go somewhere that it's less safe, there's less amenities, it's culturally different, and they're far, far away from any friends and family? What would cause them to do that? It's because they behold and they cherish the love that Jesus has for them, and they want it to go forth to all people. That's what's being said here. They, they said, it's not only supposed to be for my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's supposed to be going forth to all people. And that is what, that, that brothers and sisters, I hope that you see here, this love for God, this nourishment through the gospel is meant to not just be for one another. It's meant to be outside the church. And it's difficult. It's not easy. That's why I think Paul is saying, we need to ask the Lord to make this happen in our hearts. So, finally, we find in verse 13 one more thing. A result of a life of loving the Lord and loving others. That is, so that we may be holy. So that we may be holy. The word uh, blameless here in verse, um, verse 13 It's not actually meant to be sinless perfection. It's not meant to be like, oh, this person's perfect. What it's meant to convey is high moral character. And holiness is a theme throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's something that God designs, desires for his people. God is holy. God is set apart from the world. And he is saying, I desire this holiness not only for the Old Testament saints, before Thessalonica, and for all of us. And what we find here is a very interesting, revealing relationship between holiness and love. And I want us to see all this together. I want all of us to see this together. Look with me between verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 is saying, abound, abound, abound in love for one another and for all people. And then verse 13 is saying, so that, you would be blameless in holiness. One commentator is going to put it much clearer than I'm trying to put it. Maintaining a close link between these two clauses is essential. What are the two clauses? The two clauses are loving and abounding in love for all people. And the second clause is blameless and growth in holiness. Blameless, sanctified hearts can only grow and bloom in the soil of a genuine and abundant love. The the abounding and increasing of love so that we are established in holiness. Do you want to grow in holiness? If so, grow in love for God and grow in love for other people. There's actually, it's very interesting here, if you think about it, there's an inverse relationship. So the inverse relationship is this. If you want to grow in holiness for yourself, grow in love for the Lord and for other people. Holiness is something that we are declared at the point that we become saved, but it's also something that we grow in and we are transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And that's what, um, that's what Paul has here. He has here growth and st- growth in sanctification and growth in Christ's likeness. So, um, and all of this is so that before 
the return of Jesus Christ with his holy ones, we are holy. As I said at the beginning, so let's, let's recap what we've looked at this morning. As I said at the beginning, these verses help the readers or listeners know, hey, we are transitioning topics. And just so you're all aware, over the next few weeks, you're going to hear a lot more applicational sermons because that's what verse, chapters 4 and 5 are. So these verses are functioning to transition between those two subjects, between chapters 1, 2, and 3, and 4 and 5. But they're not only transitional clauses and transitional verses that foreshadow and uh, preview. There's truth to be harvested, and I hope that we have seen that we need to cry out and ask God to remove hindrances in our own lives, and secondly, that we need to ask God to make us love one another, which will lead, which will lead us to be established in holiness at his return. Brothers and sisters, can you pray with me? Father, I am thankful that you held up my voice throughout this sermon. I really am. Father, we are grateful for your time right now this morning that we had in studying your word. Thank you for bringing Deepak Reju as our senior pastor candidate. And we pray, Father, if it be your will that he will be established here at Ogletown and that we as a church are receptive and that we as a church are hospitable to him and his family. Father, there's many things that hinder the spread of the gospel, and we pray that we would remember and ask you to help us in effective gospel ministry. Father, I ask now, I'm so thankful for Ogletown, and I see the ways that already this church pours themselves out and loves one another deeply But Father, I ask that you would do so more and more in all of our hearts for the sake of your glory and for the sake of our growth and holiness. In the great and awesome name of Jesus Christ, we say, amen.